A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Hey, everybody. Jacob Daniel here. This is the Daniel 3 podcast. Uh, um, have a uh, great conversation in store for you guys. My guest tonight is uh, uh, Satan, or uh, otherwise known as Adam Patrick. So, uh, well, <laughs> Adam. My, reading, reading my Bible here. Sorry about that. I realized <laughs> we were going live. Okay. Let's, yeah. Well, you know, I guess the deceiver needs to know a lot of scripture because, you know, he tries right. to get be a stumbling block, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You have to know your, uh, know your enemy, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, I guess maybe we'll start out with a little bit of uh, introduction for like maybe those in my audience who haven't heard of you before. Uh, just maybe a little bit about your background and you have your own podcast. So, you know, maybe plug that and, uh, you know, maybe explain the things that you're interested in and that you talk about over there. Sure. So I'm a career restaurant bar operator, owner, manager, and um, serial entrepreneur, which, you know, if you know code, it means a lot of failures. That's basically code for I didn't like win a lot of those things. Um, and then, you know, I basically discovered, I guess what you would call like Rothbardian libertarianism kind of in the mid two thousands and sort of liked it. It was interesting. You know, I grew up Roman Catholic ish, meaning I didn't really care about going to school or going to church. Like as an altar boy, you got you out of like second and third period. So I did that for a little bit, um, kind of explored cultism, mysticism, Kabbalah, Sufism for a long time, you know, Eastern traditions, got into spirituality, did some ayahuasca stuff. I was also in the military for four years after 9-11. Then got into the bar and restaurant industry, did that for almost 17 years. COVID pretty much snatched that from the jaws of defeat. And um, now I help people get jobs, essentially work for myself doing that from home. And I started the podcast, You're Talking Over Me, to well the title's a dig at my ex but the um the the whole idea of the show was i had a lot of questions you know that i wanted to talk about things with people and i didn't know who in my real life i could talk to them about and so or talk with them about and so i thought man i'll just start a podcast and it'll help me work through some things that i'm thinking about and what i'm seeing happen in the real world and maybe I'll come to some conclusions about something. So like the whole thing was entirely selfish, you know, and I I'm grateful that people listen to it and get value from that. Uh, very grateful for it. In fact, humbled by it. Um, 
but it was never to make money or be popular or be famous or have it go mainstream. It was just really for me. And honestly, I feel like it's kind of coming to a close what I wanted to accomplish with your talking over me. And, and maybe if I do something, you know, in the future, it'll be a little bit broader, a little bit more, I don't know, mainstream entertainment or something like that. But, you know, it was never something that was supposed to continue forever. And I, I find myself kind of dropping the ball on putting episodes up and, and having to reschedule too much because of work. And that's not really fair to guests or listeners. So I, I think a lot of people have gotten value out of it. I've actually found, you know, yourself, many others in, in this, whatever space that we're in that um, I've gotten to be very good friends with had a lot of side chats on like signal and telegram, been on other shows, made a lot of connections, really made a lot of connections mentally, emotionally, and, and spiritually as well. And, um, you know, I'm just going to, I guess, ride this out, see where it goes. And, and uh, yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I, I know we joke around or maybe like people take me a little bit too seriously on Twitter, but uh, I, th I think this will be a good conversation for everybody. Yeah. You know, I wish everybody could just uh, take a chill pill on Twitter. And, you know, I, I had to learn this myself when I, cause I joined Twitter, uh, you know, pretty late compared to a lot of the other people I know. And it took me a little bit to get up to speed on it. But, you know, there's only so much you can do with 240 characters. And people take those 240 characters way too seriously at times. Um, so that's definitely, uh, you know, if you're if you're not there, kind of like your your little uh, name tag there and stuff. I mean, like, you know, this, this should be f fun. You know what I mean? I mean, we have some serious topics to talk about and whatnot, but... Um, I don't think anybody wants to hear what you have to say if you're not willing to, I don't know, like loosen up a little bit, be able to take a joke, be able to laugh at yourself, you know, so I think those are all important qualities for uh, the, the spheres that we're kind of, you know, uh, both find ourselves in. You know, I, I routinely run across people who are just, they're ruined by social media, you know, like, I just can't take it anymore. And I'm like, you know, you don't have to be on there. Right. You can just put the phone down and carry on about your day. It's a beautiful day. Go for a walk with your dogs. Spend some time with your loved ones. I don't know. Get an ice cream cone or something and chill out. And and people are just so focused on like branding. I have to be branded. I have to do this. I have to say that. And there was a gentleman, I think it was Ryan Stone, Rion Stone. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but he said something right before we came on. And he was talking about, um, you know, people have showed their true self on social media since the pandemic started. And it's you know, debilitating and why would you want to save lives? And I'm like, well, isn't that kind of a good thing that they've shown you who they really are? And if you're on the side of not taking it seriously, doesn't that also help you find your in-group? Doesn't that also help you find good people that you want to spend your time and energy with? Like, you don't have to engage with these people, like, at all. Or, you know, I guess just get off of there if you don't, you know, if you're taking it that, if it's really affecting your life that much, like, get the hell off, <laughs> you know, because none of us, I, I don't know, maybe you will be, but I have no ambition to be famous. And most of us probably won't ever get to, like, any kind of status where what we're saying really matters to the world. And even then, like, who wants that kind of responsibility? Like, I don't. Yeah, I I never did this to, to be famous either. I did it kind of, you know, along the lines of what you were describing. You know, I did it more because I knew that I was really interested in a lot of these ideas and a podcast would be a good way for me to learn more, interact with more people. And if people 
you know, if I, if I happen to grow an audience, hopefully the conversations um, are edifying and educational and uh, beneficial to them as, as they are to me. Um, but, you know, I don't want, I don't want me to be famous because I'm just a person, but I want the ideas and ultimately I want the gospel. Uh, I want, I want Christ to, to become, you know, famous. I want these, you know what I mean? It's like, that would be, you know, I, I don't, I don't need any recognition for it. If, if the ideas could get more prominence in our society, that's the only thing that I could ask for. And if I can play some small role in that, if I can help, you know, bring somebody, you know, I mean, a lot of people talk about like waking people up to liberty. And while I think that's important and we're going to talk about that, uh, one thing that we do agree on is that the most important thing is, I think, leading people to Christ. And that's always uh, something on my mind when I'm talking to, to, to anybody, when I'm in any sphere, whether it's podcasting, whether it's my involvement in uh, politics. Uh, I look at all these things as, you know, means to an end, I guess, that, you know, my, uh, you know, what Jesus calls us to do is to go out and uh, to be fisher, uh, fishers of men, right? You know what I mean? We're supposed to go out there and uh, preach the gospel to people, to be light and salt. And, uh, you know, you can't do that sitting at home. <laughs> you have to go out there and, well, I mean, I guess you can, uh, but you can't do that not engaging the world in some way. So, you know, and obviously you don't have to only do it on the internet through a podcast, but uh, that's, that's one means to do it. Um, so, uh, do you want to say something? Well, it, <clears throat> that, that's interesting because there's like a billion people on the planet that are familiar with those ideas. So I, I guess the, uh, the subtext there is that they're doing it poorly, right? That's kind of the insinuation that we're like, it's not like no one's ever heard of Jesus Christ. I, I would imagine that there's probably not a single human being on the world that doesn't know who that is. So maybe they're just not executing properly. And that's kind of what you're trying to get across to them. Well, I think there's a lot of people that know the name Jesus, but I, I find there's a lot of people who, uh, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, don't know him very well based upon what we find in the scriptures, based upon what, uh, you know, the things that he said, the things that his apostles said, uh, you know, so there's, I mean, certainly he, he is famous, I guess, but um, I guess what I'm getting at is that I, I would hope that, the ideas would become famous and that they would be embraced um, and that people would find, you know, I mean, cause you know, belief is more than just uh, what you say to be true and belief should be something, you know, my opinion that, you know, you should walk away. Like if you have a encounter, you have a transformation, like you, you say, I've accepted Christ into my heart as my Lord and savior, you know, people should be able to recognize that change. There should be something about you that is fundamentally different once you've, come to Christ. Uh, your life should, you know what I mean? And uh, th that's what I, I hope for and pray for with everybody I know and, and meet because, you know, because I, I know what Jesus has done for me and I have that same hope for everybody else I meet. And um, so I, I guess that's, that's the way I would put it. So uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about a lot in our interactions over, over uh, Twitterverse is the, the sort of like uh, dichotomy between Christianity and uh, libertarian philosophy. So mm. I don't want to, you know, straw man you or misrepresent you. I want you to oh, basically. Oh, why not? Man? Come on. <laughs> um, I, I want to give you the platform for a little bit to maybe uh, just go into, I guess, like an introduction to like what your thoughts are uh, on either the relatability or the incompatibility of 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 those two things. Yeah. So a, a lot of that that you're you're referencing there was just from some kind of Twitter uh, trolling 
that I did today, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong. And I'll tell you kind of how I, how I got here. <clears throat> and it certainly wasn't just me. There's, there's a lot of people I think who are asking the same questions and, and probably providing better answers than I am. I don't even know if I'm providing any answers to be honest with you, but <clears throat> I, I looked at the, the pandemic, right? The pandemic and was like, okay, how did this happen? Like, how is this happening right now that this we're, we're living through, uh, number one, a mass hysteria, a huge mass hysteria globally, right? The, the closest thing in my lifetime that I could equate to that is 9-11. And even then, it wasn't really like a global mass hysteria. This is everybody on the planet picking one side or the other. There's no like middle ground, like all at once. Absolutely insane. So I thought, okay, let me think about the last decade and a half that I've been calling myself a libertarian or, you know, an anarchist of some sort, or I've never used the term anarcho-capitalist because that doesn't make any sense. And I, I try to like, look at, okay, well, why don't these ideas that I've, you know, expounded so much and shared with so many people, why are they not applicable here? Why, why did nobody want these ideas? Why does nobody want to embrace these ideas? Why is no one actively out there and the people that are, are being shunned by, you know, 99 point whatever percent of the population, like this absolute crazy lunatics. And I went, okay, the reason I don't know the answer to this is because I haven't spent any time really thinking about it. I just heard libertarianism one day and went, man, that sounds pretty good. And just ran with it for a decade and a half. You know, it's, it's pretty simple ideology, right? It doesn't take a lot of digging. Like, you know, you read Anatomy of the State and a couple of books and human action. And I have a degree in economics, not that I learned anything from the college I got it from, but it did push me down the road to into the Chicago school and then into Austrian economics and my evolution through understanding, like, you know, why Keynesianism is not as, you know, adaptable to the real world as <clears throat> maybe some other ideas. So, like, what did I miss? That's the question I asked myself. What am I not seeing? And and so my kind of background in studying like the occult and mysticism and Kabbalah and Sufism and, and you know, the, the Gnosticism, you know, mystical Christianity, like when I was a kid, let me like draw some of these back in and stop being so intellectually lazy and maybe start asking these questions broadly and see what people have to say about it. <clears throat> and I don't know. It, it's like I don't I'm not going to like sit here and tell people I'm a Christian. You know, I'm not trying to do that. I don't know if I, I don't, I don't call myself a Christian. I've never called myself a Christian. I have called myself a libertarian. And I, I do look at the world and the actions that people take and then draw back or extrapolate back to like, where do those come from? Where does, where does that action come from? And I drew it back to basically Descartes and said, once human beings started to rationalize their world and rationalize God out of their world, seems to me like that started a really bad snowball effect that ended in this. And that was the thesis I ran with. And I'll even grant that a lot of the reason that the Enlightenment had to happen was because the church just didn't do its job very well at the end of the you know Middle Ages. Um, so that's fair, but totally fair. Uh, so, so somebody had to step into the power vacuum, right. And, and create something for society. So you had this 
enlightenment through the like reformation into the enlightenment into deism into like fundamental protestantism and people just got detached from the meaning of everything we're doing which <clears throat> i don't even know if somebody has to like quote unquote believe in the bible you can just look at it exegetically and you can say oh yeah there's like four million examples in here in like the first four books of the old testament alone five that tell you oh if you do x y will happen and oh yeah we're living in y right now right like if they didn't even know anything we know now they knew if you focused on something other than a higher power if you made it all about you and you tried to build you know a tower to the sky and touch god that it was going to fail metaphor simile reality or otherwise they the ancients have been talking about this in every text they've ever written every story every myth every conversation they've been warning about what's happening right now and once that clicked in my head and and you know other people like agreed with it i thought okay well i'm going to keep exploring that and that's kind of where i'm at now trying to figure out why people want to hold on to the very thing that caused this destruction and chaos we're living through. Yeah. Okay. So a lot there I agree with. I, I certainly see the connection and uh, this is something you've talked about. This is something that a lot of people in the, I mean, they, they, they uh, initially called themselves the post libertarians. They've since moved off that term. And now I think you guys are preferring the term praxian. Uh, as a general who's you, who's you what's that like like you uh matt uh matt, matt erickson uh pete quinones matt um popular liberty you know i mean a lot, a lot of you guys are kind of in the same i don't want to say you all have the same exact views of course but a lot of you guys have been involved in these uh conversations with each other and uh hmm. kind of talking about the, the things that you just kind of laid out um and uh, I, I, I'm certainly sympathetic that, you know, there's definitely something about, I guess, like a connection there between uh, a culture that rejects God certainly seems uh, much more susceptible to putting something there to take its place. You know what I mean? And that thing certainly does seem to, uh, in, in many cultures and in our culture, definitely seems to be uh, the state seems to be uh, very often seems to trend towards this radical uh, left-wing ideology that's kind of like a combination of like identity politics and cultural Marxism and uh, you know very uh, very self-deistic kind of uh, mentality is the way I kind of describe it where people mm -hmm. and, and and this is kind of where you know I, I share a lot of like your your sentiments is you know sometimes I trigger my uh, my libertarian friends when I say there's a danger in radical, individualism and and what i mean by that is not that i think that you know i certainly am, am a believer in the idea that of individual rights and i'm definitely not a proponent of of collectivism but there's something about like individualism when it gets to i don't know i guess like it's like if it's taken in isolation without some kind of grander ethos or uh i guess like metaphysical substrate that to, to, to tie it to where that radical individualism becomes, uh, I guess, like a worship of of the self, a worship of 
of of humanity, uh, so to speak. Um, hmm. Would you, Would you agree with that? Hmm. Let me think of how to how to dissect that. What you said there. Um, so so first thing, um, I one of the reasons that I like having a lot of conversations with um, people like Matt Erickson or Andrew Picanones is because they're not afraid to ask questions and they're not afraid to um, eschew ideology. If, if their brain is going in a particular direction that they want to pursue a thought, right? They're not willing to hold back that thought because of some ideological purity or fear that the group is going to stone them to death. There's something very nice about the will to do that or the willingness to do that, right? To stand up and say, I don't know if this is true. Now, that's not, I don't consider myself a post-libertarian or a praxian or anything, really. I mean, just Adam. So, but I, I do like that trend. I think that's important. And then of course, there, there are folks like Cyprian who are very like hardcore one way and that's it. And he doesn't really agree with any of that stuff or maybe kind of sporadically there. But I like that too. I think that that transformation, like, like Vin is a smart guy and I like learning a lot from him. So the way, it, you know, people talk about post-libertarian, I would just say, you know, for me, if <clears throat> I were to use that word, I would just say post-libertarian means I used to call myself a libertarian and now I don't. And that's it. Like, that's all that term means to me. Um, there's no like ideology involved in it. As far as I could tell, like Praxy and Andrew likes that like, you can run with that. Like you can chat with him about that. <laughs> I, I don't really know what that, what that really means. Um, and was the second I thought, part? I, and, and, I, and I apologize. I thought I had, I had seen you describe yourself that way before, but it's hard to keep it all, uh, no. keep it all straight. Um, I mean, but, it, it, if I did, it's just that it's something I used to call myself that I'd rather not anymore. You know, sure. so it's like yeah. it, it's a way of sort of stating that I am very comfortable understanding or articulating libertarian theory, political theory, or libertarian ideology. I like I understand it enough to talk about it because I lived it and practiced it for fifteen years. Um, so I'm not coming into it from like some weird communist manifesto stage, um, but I don't think I've ever used it. But it, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. It's just like I get it, but I don't agree with it anymore. You know, or it's not that I don't agree with it because it, it's there's not like a lot to disagree with. I just think it's a byproduct of a corruption of an idea that has tried to like come around and fix the problem that like the initial idea created, but doesn't go back far enough. So that's, that's kind of, kind of how I, how I view that term. And then I don't remember the second part of your question. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even remember the second part of my question at this point, but uh, it's all good. Um, I, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at and what, what I'm, what I'm curious about your thoughts are is, you know, uh, I mean, I, I'm definitely sympathetic to the idea. I mean, as a, I'm a very, religious christian and i know you know you might I, I don't know exactly where you fall into that sounds like you're you know and we're all on a journey and i i can i can respect that and you know i i do sometimes find it frustrating when people want to you know everyone some people want to just put you in a box they're like what are you please describe what boxes you fit into so i can you know not treat you as an individual who might have you know <laughs> uh th th their own personality and their own conclusion so i definitely appreciate and respect that um, I, I've just seen a lot of people who are, you know, uh, including yourself at times, uh, I think it's fair to say that 
are telling a lot of the people in the libertarian circles that uh, they need to, you know, that it's not good to spread the ideas of liberty and that, um, and I'm, I'm not even sure, you know, there's not really a unified, well, what you should do instead. Everyone kind of has their own little thing. So um, what do you think the thing is that we, you know, like, so I'm involved in the libertarian Mises caucus and I'm, I'm involved in that side of politics. Um, what do you think would be better, a better use of time for people such as myself, rather than political action, if we care about trying to create a society that has more liberty in it? Um, yeah, I, I guess okay. that's where I want to want to get your thoughts on. So I, I don't even I don't have any problem with political action. And, and just for context, I'm on the SCC for the LP here in Connecticut. So it's not like I don't know what the LP is doing or the Mises caucus is doing. So, and that's been like the better part of a year now. And, uh, you know, to be completely honest, again, I don't really do much with it, but they wanted me to do it so that I do it. Um, I don't have a problem with political action at all. Honestly, I don't really have a problem with political violence. So I'm going to be completely honest again. Uh, I, I'm just trying to get, I, I think I'm trying to break people of what I see as the malaise, the intellectual laziness and malaise that I was in for a decade and a half, I can start recognizing it now. And I, I almost wish someone had been talking to me this way back then, but there was no real social or political catalyst or reason for them to do it. And so it, it comes down to one of those, like, you know, you meet, you meet somebody 20 years younger and you're like, you know, I actually lived through this thing that you're going through right now. You should maybe listen to me. And they, what do they never do? They never do that, right? No. <laughs> they always just want to go through it and, and figure it out on their own. Um, and that's cool. Like, whatever. Like, I, I'm going to live my life perfectly fine if people don't pay any attention to what I'm talking about. This is really, like, again, my growth. You know, people don't have to follow me on Twitter. They don't have to listen to me talk. Whatever. Like, everything will be totally copacetic if they don't. But there, there is something about when you say pursue liberty, right, that I, I and, and I'm not trying to do this from like a weird, like gotcha kind of straw man thing. I kind of want to know what that really means. Like, what does that actually mean? I'm not even like specifically asking you because it sounds like the same thing I was doing for a decade and a half, which is just saying stuff. And when you really say like, we're trying to pursue liberty. Okay, define what that is. Define what liberty is and really, really mean it. And then we can start from there because if that's, okay, let's pretend we did, we did define it. Is every tactic that you you are as an individual taking, achieving that? Is it achieving that goal? Is it working toward that goal? Is the strat Are the strategies and the tactics designed actionably to achieve liberty now that's like low level stuff uh, i would say the majority of the time they're not and so if you're going to work in the political realm and you want to achieve like political victories it's probably good to understand like political science and political theory that i don't see a lot of people who call themselves libertarians or especially in the libertarian party they don't understand it a lot of times what i see are folks who want liberty but they actually want more libertarians more than they want liberty or they want like people to join the libertarian party at the cost of liberty, which is very interesting 
Because if your principles say, I want to achieve individual liberty and economic freedom, and forget Christianity here, right? Like, forget God, forget all this shit. Let's pretend we're all atheists for a minute. If your goal is to achieve individual liberty and economic freedom, then what I see, the actions that you're taking politically are completely counterproductive to that to that end, right? That That's not going to work. And it's like, well, we're libertarians. We have principles. Well, then get the fuck out of politics. It's not where you belong. And really, like, that should be okay to say, right? Be like, hey, you know what? I'm a libertarian. I don't belong in politics. I belong doing this other thing over here. Cool. As a matter of fact, I think you'd be better served doing I think everybody would be better served getting the fuck out of politics. But if you're going to play that game and you want to actually achieve individual liberty and economic freedom, well, then, like, a lot of y'all are doing it wrong. And it's because your principles don't allow you to play that game with those rules. That's why you're going to lose. And if you're going to lose and not achieve individual liberty and economic freedom, then what the fuck are you doing it for? Like, to me, it just looks like ego or uh, an in-group or a VFW hangout. I, I, I don't get what the purpose of it is. So that's my thought on the, the politics part. Sure. And there's a lot there. Um, so I'm certainly sympathetic to um, your concern about, I guess, like the way I would describe it in my own words would be like a, a sort of dogma around principles that, that libertarians sometimes have where it's like, well, these are our principles for our ideal society. And a, a failure to recognize that we don't live in that society and that those principles are probably not always going to work. It's kind of like, you know, I mean, I, I, well, I feel, here's the thing that, to play the it, game in the way that that like if the game's designed a certain way there, if you're going to engage, at least in the political game, you might have to at times do things that are contrary to your principles. But you're you know, you have to be willing to make that compromise because it's like, well, if I want to move things in, because like the political game really is about incrementalism. And if your idea is to somehow incrementally decentralize power back to the you know more and more local level there are going to be a lot of compromises along the way and you kind of have to be willing to play those games to do that and not everybody's made out to do that so you have to recognize if you're a person who can play that game or not so i'm certainly sympathetic to the concerns about you know libertarians who i think are so dogmatic about principles that there's a sort of failure to recognize uh that you can't play your principles in a game where the principles are like the game is designed contrary to your principles. So it's, it's just not going to, it's just not going to work. Right. Um, well, yeah. just, just to be clear, I'm not advocating that anybody get rid of their principles to go into politics. What I'm advocating is the opposite of that. I'm saying if you are a principled libertarian, if that's if that's the fucking hill you want to die on, I'm, I'm sorry, can I swear on your show? I didn't even know if I could do that. Oh, you're, you're good. Okay. Sorry. Um, if you're a principled libertarian and don't go into politics, that, that that's not for you. That's not where people go when they have actual principles. That's where you go when you want to figure out how you're going to rule other people, right? I don't know how libertarianism and politics could work if you're actually well, principled, but people seem to think they can do that. And, th and that's like really cute, but uh, that's not what you're up against. You're up against bloodthirsty lizard people who want yeah. to destroy and eat your children and drink their blood. Um, so you either go to war with those people or you have to like 
take your energy out. You can't give your energy to that system. And listen, I'm, I'm totally okay with politics. Like as a somebody who studied political theory quite <laughs> intricately, I uh, actually find it fascinating. Um, I don't have the time or energy for it, but I think there's some people who are really built for that, like really built for it. But you have to go in there knowing that you have to win. Like it's a war and you have to go to war and you have to win. So you can't really be principled and win at the same time. So you kind of have to pick one, right? This is where I think the hangup is. Yeah, I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but it, I guess it's just a matter of like, you know, getting to the nitty gritty of like what you're actually going to do in politics. Because I, I, I would certainly agree with you that if your mission was to win <clears throat> at like the state level or especially the federal level, and your idea is to like, I guess like uh, a attack against the system from like attacking the highest power that if you're going to get into those positions of power that you're going to have to play the game the way that those who have power are playing it. But I think that, you know, like, you know, the, the LP and specifically the, the what the Mises caucus does is a, a local strategy. That's a little bit different because what you're, what we're doing isn't really uh, trying to seize power. What we're trying to do is, uh, at the local level, enact uh, nullification legislation and, mm -hmm. and decentralization, maybe down the road eventually secession, although sometimes I feel like there's a little bit of uh, uh, a, a naivete to the idea how of how easy secession would be in, in even some of the Mises. Like, so, like, I'm not against secession, but I think sometimes certain Mises caucus members will uh, uh, are a little bit, you know, head in the clouds in terms of thinking that that would be a, a cakewalk. I'm not as convinced it would be, but certainly I'm, I'm all for nullification at the local level. It's something even you don't have to do it in the libertarian party. You can do it in the, through the GOP, which is something that, you know, Andrew at, at popular Liberty talks about. So mm -hmm. to me, I don't, I don't see a compromise of principles to, to get involved at the local level and, and do those sorts of things. Or am I wrong there? And if I am, where do you think I'm wrong? Well, Okay. So as a blanket strategy, sure. But here's the problem. We just lived through the last two years. Um, from what I can tell, except in very, very small regional local area, maybe even local areas, municipalities in the country, uh, nobody is receptive to those ideas, right? That is a very unpalatable message that you have. Uh, and it, this is not directed at you. And again, I'm also part of the LP, right? Like a member of the LP. You have children messaging this, right? You do not have seasoned political veterans or people who have been through wars out there advocating this stuff. You have children or you have entertainers. You have, they're not, they, they are trying to advocate something that to them or us seems like a no-brainer. Individual liberty and economic freedom. Like who the hell wouldn't want that? Well, dude, like everybody, like nobody wants that. This is a very unpalatable message. And you have folks going into the political realm, right, in a, in a very politically violent cultural narrative going on right now with a very naive outlook on their success to outcome ratio, right? That, that's dangerous. You are putting children, not you, but that you're putting children in a position that they're potentially going to get really hurt, right? Like I'm, I'm not even like trying to be hyperbolic with that. Like they could be actually really hurt. 
Like these are not people to screw around with, right? People who understand power, power dynamics, how to rule others, how to destroy people's lives because they are literally possessed by the devil. And you can't be a child and go up against that. You just can't do it. You can't go like, hey, we're going to create another Ron Paul movement. That's just going to sweep the country. Dude, nobody wants this shit. If they did, we wouldn't have gone through the last two years. And you might get something out of the populace, right? You might be able to do that. I mean, as like a Band-Aid for the next couple of years. And that's probably what it would be, a Band-Aid for the next couple of years, right? You're trying to figure out how to like just triage this situation politically and socioeconomically right now. But after that, like, yeah, they'll they'll abandon you, right? They're, they're not really on the side of this. And, and for me, it's recognizing that they're not... They're never going to be on the side of libertarian, never on the side of individual liberty and economic freedom because it's not a gut instinct. Like this ideology is not a natural gut instinct. People, and this has been recognized through the ancients, through every major religion, through many philosophers, right? Like name them, you know, Karen Armstrong wrote books about it, right? People are Chesterton. All of these people, Pascal, right? People long for meaning and purpose. There's a God-shaped hole in their heart. You start stuffing that hole full of materialism. This is what happens. So what are they missing? What are people missing? They're missing meaning and purpose. And they're not going to find it in some atheistic political doctrine. That's not going to work long-term. And really, even if you were to promote you know, whatever you would call like true Christianity or true Islam or true Sufism or whatever. That's also not going to work because the entire culture has been brainwashed by materialistic endeavors, right? By this idea of the enlightenment, watching God out of people's minds, where the, the separation of church and state, right? That like that That's ridiculous. The separation of church and state is ridiculous. Like it might seem good right now, because that's how we came up in the age that we're living in. Like, wow, we don't want to live in a theocracy. Look at what the Taliban's doing. I don't know. I see them chopping off hands of people that like rape. Okay, cool. You rape somebody. Let's chop a hand off. Let's do it. What are we, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't know, man. There, there's, there's a huge cultural problem with connecting to something bigger than us. And, and when you have somebody who really deeply believes in religion, Jesus, Muhammad, Abraham, whomever, right. They're considered a joke by most people who walk around on the earth, a joke. Like, what are you living in caveman times? You believe in the sky fairy? Like they're laughed off. Like you're backwards cavemen. Like, that's the society we live in. How do you fix that? Through, like, voting? <laughs> There's a deeper a deeper problem that needs to be addressed. And if I'm, I'm cool with addressing it in lots of ways, what I'm not cool with is people doubling down on what clearly isn't working. Like, that's what I have a serious issue with. So, yeah, I do fuck around and play around on Twitter a bunch, but... Um, it does annoy me that the people who are preaching individual liberty and economic freedom the most 
are, in my opinion, really just not going back far enough to find the right meaning. That they're not going to fix anything. So I don't know if that makes sense. I I, I can see what you're saying there. Um, You know, I, I guess I view there's sort of two problems and you're sort of connecting them, which I don't necessarily disagree with connecting them, but then it becomes a matter of praxis in terms of like, well, how do we solve it? Because there's two problems. One, there's the problem of coercion and, and violence in our society. And I think, you know, most of us who, you know, whether you call yourself a libertarian or, or whatever, I mean, those of us who see that problem, who see the violence of, and the coercion, the, the course of nature of the state who see, uh, you know, the, the, the mill, the, this giant empire for what it is and uh, understand all, all the problems that go along with it. And we, we want to, we want to push society away from that and promote more, you know, social cooperation, free markets. Like, you know, I think we all agree that if we could get to a society like that, that it would be better. You're also pointing out a secondary problem, which is, uh, and it's not, again, it's not completely unconnected, but that people uh, are living in a uh, post-religious landscape, that they're living in a materialist world that's very uh, increasingly secular and, and atheistic. Um, and, and I agree with you on a lot of that. And, and I certainly see the destruction of our, our culture and of, of certain values that I think are important as a result of, of that push. Um, and I think you're trying to connect them to say that first problem is going to be hard to fix because it's partially, at least partially caused by the fact that uh, I'm trying to figure out the right, 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 right way to phrase this. Uh, I guess it's, it's sort of like going into the um, uh, like the time preference uh, discussion where, you know, Without God, without this this uh, more religious, supernatural, you know, mystical uh, uh, substrate, that you know, the, the ethos by which uh, our values kind of come from, people are are going to be more incentivized to behave in high time preference uh, fashions, and that they're it's going to be hard to convince you know, people of those values disconnected from the, the ethos that, that formed those values. Is, is that, is that like a great, like I'm trying to steel man your position to make sure I, I understand it correctly. Would that, would that a fair summation of it? <clears throat> I mean, maybe, I, I think it's like, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe a good place to start with this is to say, um, as, as somebody who calls themselves a Christian and believes in Christianity. And I, I believe that you do. Right. So, uh, what is it that you feel libertarianism is valuable for? Like what in Christianity isn't answered? It doesn't give you the direction, doesn't, you know, provide the um, the roadmap for success in all aspects of life it, that leaves gaps that libertarianism fills. Like what what gaps are those and why is libertarianism not at its best redundant and not at its worst harmful. Cause maybe that's where we should start. Sure. So I guess it's kind of like for me, uh, the way I conceptualize it is there's almost a Venn diagram, I guess, where you got Christianity on one side, libertarianism 
you know, as a praxeology, a praxeological libertarianism on the other side, and they overlap. And there's a lot of things they have in common. There are some things that I think libertarianism talks about and teaches that aren't strictly found in the Bible. And to me, it's not a criticism of the Bible, but it's just like the the Bible is not a document and the Christianity is not a religion that I guess like talks about things that are uh, – I'm trying to figure out the right way to describe it. But, 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 let me put it this way. Um, the Bible doesn't teach me how to do my job, right? Like so I fix cars for a living, and I could read the Bible a, a million times through. And while the Bible is going to give me the correct values in terms of like providing for my family, being honest, and like things that are going to make me a good worker mm-hmm. and, and a good father and a good husband, they're not going to actually teach – the Bible is not going to teach me the nitty-gritty on what I have to do to disassemble a transmission and put it back together to fix the problem, which is what I do for a living. Um, so that's kind of a metaphor for what I think libertarianism is, which is it's a praxis. And it's a it's, a, it's like a study of – the, the, the values of liberty and, and of rights that the Bible talks about. And then libertarianism is like taking them and breaking them down into like, okay, here's more details into how to put these into, into praxis, how to put these, you know, uh, and, and a more detailed study into specifically economics, into uh, contract law and, you know, you know, voluntary associations and, and what you can and can't do in, you know, where rights interplay, like it, it deals with those things that I think that it's not that the Bible doesn't give you what you need to get to those conclusions, but in the same way that the Bible doesn't like tell me how to fix my car or tell me uh, how to set up this video stream for us to talk to each other or, you know, how to navigate from, I live in Pennsylvania and let's say I wanted to drive to Florida, you know, the mm-hmm. Bible's not going to instruct me as to how to, you know what I mean? I would go to the internet and look at, look at a map or navigation. But like libertarianism doesn't provide the answers to any of those analogies either. Well, I'm just, I, I'm not saying it does, but what libertarianism I think does provide the answer to, or even say it's the answer. It's like libertarianism is, is sort of a, 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 a praxis, I guess. And um, like for what of, of rights of of, okay. of of your of your rights and what and, and describing them in more uh, fleshed out, less esoteric ways than maybe something like the Bible does and uh, sort of like instructing people as to the rules of social interaction and cooperation that we would want to see in a in a market setting. Um so it's not that the Bible is silent on those issues, but the Bible is uh, a compilation of different, you know, in, in my opinion, inspired uh, books, you know, that were written by men. But I think that were written, uh, authored by people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we take the, the overall Bible, my view is we take it as the, the word of God. I know there's some disagreements between Christians. Some people take it, you know, that the entire document is inerrant and some people say it's inspired but you know maybe not every single line is exactly the word of god but whatever whichever camp you fall into you take the bible at least you know the, the majority of it holistically as a narrative that was given to us from god a set a set of rules a a, a metaphysical substrate and an ethos to to live life by and and it's about our relationship to god and it also talks about a relationship to others but Libertarianism, 
and you're correct when you say it kind of takes the God part out of it. It focuses solely on the human interaction part. And I'm not saying like libertarianism is not a, it's a thin philosophy, right? It's, it's, it's very narrow. It, it, it only instructs you as to the ways in which social cooperation and, and free markets, human interaction should work and what rights are. It, it's, it's not a thick philosophy. It's not a full philosophy that you can base your entire life around that's going to make you a good person, that's going to give you a fulfilling life or give you purpose. It can't do any of that. Hmm. Um, but it, it can be useful as much as, as, much as uh, a technical manual or uh, apprenticeships or a trade school would be in, useful for instructing somebody to do a trade libertarian philosophy can be useful for uh teaching people the praxis of 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 libertarianism of of economics and free markets okay so just out of curiosity there um what makes free markets like a good idea i mean and and i'm going to say this to you in relation to the fact that you're a christian and somebody who's read the bible right that um I don't think that free markets comes up in the Bible. I'd have to maybe read, read through it again, but I have, you know, pawed through it pretty well in the past couple of years. I, I don't think free markets comes up once. Um, I mean, not the term but, free markets, no, but I no, think I'm agreeing with you. I'm not saying it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like, they don't mention that in there. No, but um, I think they, they, there's, there's definitely passages that would pertain to uh, property rights, you know, do not steal, do not murder. Um, well, yeah, and, you know, and I mean, and, it, it, Abraham said that, right? Like, so yeah, property rights predate. So I, I guess, I guess a lot of that is is pretty high level, and um, and I don't mean to like hijack your show and ask you questions, but I think it would it would help me a little bit to kind of understand where you think, like, really, libertarianism fills something that the fills a gap that the Bible leaves out. Like, I I don't. It, it, I would say at the very least, they're saying the same thing, right? I, I'm not sure if there's like a contradiction in the words, but I was almost hoping that you were going to go thick libertarianism because if it's just thin liberty, if it's just the nap, like you already have that in the Bible, you just have like the inversion of it in libertarianism. So like in the Bible, it's, you know, um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But libertarianism is this weird, awkward inversion where it's like, don't do unto others as you would have them not do unto you, which completely eschews personal responsibility, which is the whole point of that passage in the first place, right? It's like, sure. well, if you, you crawl up to my property, starving and thirsty and dying. Well, like, I don't owe you water, bitch, because it's mine, right? Like, that's not- You know what's point. funny- is is so your your critique is really is really spot on and it's actually very similar to the same critique Jesus gave to the, on the sermon of the mount when mm. he talked about uh you know eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth so like the original eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth was you know those were legal precedents that the Jews were given in the old testament right but then they started using those te those legal codes for more than what they were intended to be used for they used them to justify their attitudes of hostility and you know living in a uh, that way with their neighbor and jesus corrected that and said mm -hmm. you know you know yes you you have heard it said that it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but um 
You know, there's also passages in the Old Testament about doing good to your enemies, about like, you know, there was passages about like returning uh, lost property to your enemies and doing good to those who persecute you. And Jesus reminds them of that and 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 really emphasizes it. And the, And really the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus going, listen, there's a lot of legal code in the Old Testament. And this was basically me putting limits on your your sinful nature me saying here are all the things that you're not allowed to do Mm -hmm. but you said you know what's not helpful for living a good life defining it merely in well i'm just not allowed to do x y and z that is not sufficient for living a good meaningful life Mm -hmm. you have to you know there are there are positive moral obligations and duties and that's going to trigger libertarian you talk about positive obligations and stuff it's like oh you're talking about positive rights no it's like no christianity does have i i I would describe them as positive moral obligations i don't think they should be uh enforced by coercion of course but but they are things that i think they're duties that god has given us um so you're right libertarian is in a lot of ways the inverse but i think that libertarianism is like you know for me libertarianism is like like razor thin it is very thin it is very much just a legal code and that stuff is found in the bible but i guess here's my problem it's that even the bible recognizes that like we're always going to live in a society where there are people who aren't christians and there's always going to be people of different religions and 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 who don't accept the bible as being true so i guess to me libertarianism what it fulfills is it's a philosophy and a legal code that if we can get as many people as we can to be influenced by or to subscribe to those ideas of what rights and laws should be, that, you know, this is just a preferable way to push society towards. And like, listen, I always am going to be, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm always going to be trying to push people towards uh my worldview like i want them to read the bible i want them to reject atheism and to embrace a higher calling to embrace uh you know to reject materialism and to embrace at least some sort of like because not everyone's going to make a whole transition at once but to at least start questioning materialism and uh realizing that there's more to life than just themselves and and we're not just uh balls of highly evolved stardust like you know i I want people to move towards that and to embrace something more but in the meantime while i'm pushing them that way it's better to have as many people who aren't christian to either not be statists or to be as little bit of of statist as they can be than it is to have the opposite um and that's that's where i'm coming from i guess yeah that that's interesting i mean as a strict legal code in a society that had no other legal code, right? If there wasn't like the rest of the shit that we're living under right now, then I'm not necessarily adverse to that. Like, okay, we're going to create some sort of man-made law that we won't say it came from God, but it's sort of an an extrapolation or something or an abstraction of that um, as a legal code that we're going to use to like govern our group or our society or whatever. Uh, that, obviously, that's not the world we're living in, but I suppose as an abstraction or like as, as a thought experiment, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, there's very little meat there, like red meat there for me because we don't live in that world. So like that's cool. I mean, I guess I, I don't really have like a beef with that. Um, 
when we're so my interestingly enough my in, interpretation of basically what what Jesus is saying on, in in the whole New Testament right Sermon on the Mount but the whole thing it's the New Testament for me is God's breakup his divorce with the Jewish people right it's I don't know how many times I had to tell you people the same thing over and over again. I don't know how many lessons you had to learn over and over and over again. I'm done with you, right? We're going to spread this to everybody, right? We're, we're done with you. You're not the chosen people anymore. You can't do this shit. You're not good at it. You keep fucking it up and we're done. I, there's no more covenant with you. I'm making a covenant with anybody who wants to pursue it. And that I think, and I've said this with Vin when we talked on the show about like Orthodox Christianity or even like the early um, Gnostics or Roman Catholic Church. That's the life hack that I see. Like that somehow taps into something primordial in the human condition, the human soul that worked really well for Christianity. It has been like corrupted a little bit or maybe a lot of it, depending on the decade you look at it or the century. Uh, by human minds and human hands. But for me, that's what I call the life hack. It figured out a way to divorce itself from one particular people and offer everybody a path to something bigger, right? And what you can learn from that from that lesson from the Old Testament is just relate it to now, right? All of those lessons, like walk through the whole thing, the whole thing. You're like, oh, we do that, we do that, we do that, we do that, we do that. Oh, it turns out this way, it turns out that way, it turns out this way. It's just laid out right there. And God just goes, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done with you. You can't do it right. I'm tired of this. Like the Ten Commandments, it was like, okay, okay, here's what we're going to do. You people are all 100% retarded. How about we just agree you don't kill each other? Can we agree on that? Can we agree that you won't kill each other? Could you, could you do that? Is that cool? Can we agree? That's all I see in the whole Old Testament is just a group of people who just fail and fail and fail and fail over and over and over again. And that's not like calling them like a name or something or saying that they're, you know, worse people than us. Like that's what people do. They fail all the time at this. And those are the lessons. So there's a lot to learn now, for, for just the record, so you don't get like kicked off of YouTube or whatever, I'm not saying like the Jewish people are shitheads or something. I'm just saying there, there's a lesson in there that applies to every human being on the planet. And you could take this to Islam too, man. You could go all the way through Muhammad with this. Like, you know, the, the personal responsibility that you have to take to not allow those negative consequences to happen as the result of your actions, it's all there. The blueprint's there. The roadmap's there, right? The, the guide to change your transmission. Like, it's really there. It really is there. And so <clears throat> anyway, that, that's a separate thing. And then to just kind of talk about how to, I don't know, reach atheists, I guess, at this point, I would have to, I guess I have to ask you because you're maybe more Christian than I am. Um, what would be the take, like the biblical, the, the, the Christ, the Christian take on how you speak to somebody who calls your father a sky fairy is the take to come down to their level and figure out some common ground so that you can live next to each other. 
is that like the proper path of evangelism, the proper path to, you know, talk to them about the word of God or, the, you know, the, the way to the higher path, the way to the way, is that how it's supposed to be done? Or are you supposed to never equivocate in your teaching, your communication, in your journey um, as a matter of following that path? Like which one of those two things is what a Christian should do? Should they equivocate and, and bring down their belief system just to get through the moment? Or should they never equivocate and always hold people to the standard that they live by and, and not talk to people as if like, um, I don't know, like you're a like somebody's a Satan worshiper, like really on like a low level, like we're kind of both human. So like, maybe we can kind of get along. Like, is that what's supposed to be done? Or are you supposed to be like, you know what, this is shitty, degenerate, awful behavior that's going to lead to the degradation and destruction of society. Uh, like maybe I shouldn't allow that. Maybe I should just not allow that behavior to happen around me. And you need to either uh, listen to this so we can figure out some way for you to come to an understanding or you need to get the fuck out of here because I have to protect my family and my community because I believe in something bigger than this. So I guess that's kind of an answer and a question kind of all in one. Sure. So it, it's definitely complicated. On one hand, um, I think that the the model that is the example that Jesus gives us is to be a servant and you know, and it's funny. Jesus was often accused by the Pharisees of, of uh, I always love it. He's the, the, the accusations they brought up were this man dines with sinners and tax collectors. Mm. <laughs> so I always love that part. It's like, God, yeah, hang out with the sinners, Jesus, but the tax collectors, you've gone too far. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, there's something about there is something in that in what Jesus modeled for us as as an example in sort of meeting people where they are. But then also at the same time, not equivocating with them. So it's kind of like you have to meet them where they're at as far as like not like having a conversation where you're like, oh, let's talk about all the things we have in common. But it's like you just treat them like a human. You treat them like a person who is created in the, the image of God, just as you are uh, and somebody that Jesus died for just as he died for you and recognizing in the Christian perspective that that person is just as much of dessert uh, like a uh, just as much as you did does not deserve the forgiveness that God has given me, that Jesus has given me. They don't deserve it either. So I'm not better than them. I've just, I know what I've been given and they don't know and haven't accepted it yet. And so my job, you know, and this is my, you know, this is probably a bit informed by my theological leaning because I lean more out of the reformed camp and you might have a a different perspective if you were raised Roman Catholic to, to some degree, but I believe that evangelism is more like our job is to preach the gospel. And from that point, the the work becomes that of the Holy Spirit to act on that person's heart and and uh, over time soften it to the point to where the, the, the word becomes alive. The heart of stone becomes the heart of flesh and they they uh, have like the wool removed from their eyes and they're able to see uh, see see God and see. Mm. Uh, their 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 life and their state uh, for, for what it is. But there's no argument you can have with somebody to get them there. Um, so in the meantime, it's like, so there, there's like two things going on. There's always this evangelism that we're trying to do with Christians. But then it's like, okay, we also have a society and it, it does become a little 
uh, autistic if like I go into work and someone's like, hey, Jacob, how you're doing? And I just start like quoting scripture at them. And <laughs> and then it's like, you know, if, if I've quoted scripture at them or, you know, I talk to them about my faith, you know, and they say, I don't believe that. There's something a little autistic about like, well, every time I see them now, all we're going to talk about is me trying to push my beliefs on them. There's, there's a point where you plant the seed and you have to let it uh, up to God and, 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 and his will and his plans for that seed to be watered and nurtured and et cetera. And you continue to live life. You know, Jesus says, you know, we live in the world, not of it. So we're not, we're not supposed to be transformed by the world, but we do live in it. And there's passages such as Romans 13 and others that, uh, well, I don't think Romans 13 is, uh, means that we should subscribe to statism. Romans 13 does say something, and it says something about, you know, submitting to, uh, submitting to righteous governing authority. And to me, it's like, okay, well, that governing authority is not explicitly described as religious. It's just governing authority. And so this might be where we have a fundamental disagreement where I do think that there will always be, you know, even as I'm like, I'm an anarchist, but there's always going to be some sort of governing authority. I uh, don't like it that to be the state. I would like the governing authorities to be more local market-based uh, systems that would pop up, but we obviously don't have that now, but I don't think that, you know, in, in a recognition of, of like sphere sovereignty and uh, the way that God and the and Bible prescribe systems of authority, I don't think that the church is meant to be the governing authority. I think that governing authorities exist to administer civil justice and those legal systems are inherently, like they're not secular, but they're not like, they're not the church. There's something separate about the legal system there's something about the legal system and the governing authorities that's separate from the church. So while I would agree with you that we shouldn't let degeneracy and sin fester and grow within the church, there's a different set of rules for how we operate in broader society uh, that I guess it gets, it gets a little bit messier. And there, there's no, you know, there, there's no like simple answer to your question. Like, Oh, this is what you do. It's like, well, you, it's, it's human action. It's you, 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 you're dealing with uh, a never changing landscape of different people in different settings and different environments. And you have to take it day by day <clears throat> and, and, you know, act in ways that you think are going to move you and uh, move you closer towards your ends and uh, move society towards your ends. And there's, you know, how we do that is, is, you know, like I said, it's complicated. So, but I, I think that at the end of the day, what you're getting at is should our focus be on evangelism and on condemning sin and degeneracy that's destructive to our culture, or should it be trying to get people to embrace a legal system that we think would be beneficial for all of us to live under? And I don't see those things as being at odds with each other, I think, in the same way that you do. While certainly I think it would be wrong for me to hyper focus on the latter. Like if my focus is 100% libertarianism, well then that that's a problem, and uh, that that'd be a fair criticism to make. But I think we can, and I, this is something I shot at you the other day on Twitter. Um, I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, I, I guess is where 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 I think I'm coming from. Yeah, I mean you can walk and chew gum at the same time, but you can't walk and run at the same time. So th there there's definitely like something with analogies where we could just do that forever and kind sure. of one up each yeah. other. 
um, you, you definitely there are things you cannot do at the same time. Um, and then you can also walk and walk at the same time. So uh, there, there's a lot to that. I think, you know, a, a lot of what works really well with old texts, right? And a lot of this comes out of Sufism too. And I know you have a hard stop coming up at eight, so we'll, we'll wrap, I'll wrap up for you. But um, like a, a lot of that talking in parables or talking in stories or talking in code, um, people don't like that now because we live in like a post-enlightenment world where everything has to be literal. And you, well, why can't you just tell me the answer? I need the answer right now. Tell me the answer to everything. Why, why am I alive? Tell me right now. Why, why can't you just tell me? Why are you talking in riddles? And it's like, yo, that's actually how you maintain sanity in a world of insane people. And you see that throughout, you know, every Babylonia, Egyptian, Sumerian, the Bible, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Sufism, specifically like the Kabbalah, man, like you create codes with numerology and words and language, uh, Arabic and Hebrew specifically because they don't have any vowels. So there's a lot of context right in the word, depending on how it's used in a sentence. Like when, so when, when somebody talks in parables on Twitter or they're trying people are like, oh, why can't you just tell me? And it's like, cause you're not even, you don't even want to know. That's why, that's why, that's why Jesus talks in parables because you don't even, not you, you don't even want the answer. You want someone to tell you the answer so you can not do it, right? That's what you're getting at at that moment, right? You're not seeking actual truth. You're not seeking the light or the way or the path or anything higher than you. You want someone, and this is why the Sufi will just run you around in circles and, and ditch you out on your ass. And they'll never give you the time of day or any of their energy because when you ask, when people ask something like that, um, you know, well, how do, how do I do it? Like, how do I live? What's the meaning? What, how, what's this? What's that? They're like, yeah, they, then they give you some Aesop fable, right? Which is all Sufism, by the way, Aesop's fables. Um, Don Quixote too, by the way, if nobody knows that. It's all like a parable because they're like, I don't have any time. You're not going to ever do it. And a, a lot of times when I read the Bible and I hear the parables from, from Jesus talking, I, I think to myself, he knows they're not going to do it. <laughs> he knows. He knows they're going to fail. And he's giving them exactly the information that they're asking for. But he's not saying it in a way that's ever going to be receptive because they're not ready to receive it. I see a lot of that in this materialistic world. I see a lot of that with people who are very left brain, right? And, and really trying to like rationalize themselves to a conclusion. I see a lot of that. Like, I need the answer right now. Like, do the work. Oh, I don't want to do the work. I just want the answer. All right, well, if you don't want to do the work, then this is what happens. COVID is what happens. The yes. pandemic, right? The yep. shutdowns, the lockdowns, the vaccine passports. That's what happens when you don't want to do the work. You got to do the work. And yep. I don't know what that means in the long run. I just know it's important. So hopefully people will get something out of this. And uh and uh, and and that was cool, dude. Like, I I appreciate you having me on, and hopefully people will come out of this not thinking that I'm Satan. But you know, if they do, <laughs> fuck them. Yeah. No, I uh, you know, I I I think it was a great conversation. You know, there's a lot of things that I think we agree on, and we're uh, fellow travelers, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, you know, there's some things we disagree on too. But I think that these kind of conversations, fleshing out, you know, the nuances of of where we agree and disagree are, are good and productive. And uh, I feel like I learned some, I hope uh, everyone else, you know, watching this does too. So um, yeah, I guess uh, 
we'll wrap it up there, but uh, you know, maybe conversations to have in the future as well. Um, Adam, you want to plug any of your stuff again before we uh, hop off? You know what? I don't, but I, I will say for anybody who listens to this and has a, wants to have a genuine conversation or has a genuine critique for what we're talking about and wants to engage, please do so because you know, neither one of us, Jacob or myself, is having this conversation in a vacuum or because we want to stroke our own ego. Um, I'm very happy to engage in these conversations. I will not engage with people who are looking for the answers. Like, I don't have any interest in that at all. And I don't think that you do you do either. So I don't really care if you listen to my show or not. It, like, you can find it if you're somewhat resourceful. Um, I would really just like to continue this conversation with anybody who wants to have it in any forum they want to have it if they're coming at it in good faith. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got. Awesome. hundred percent agree with that sentiment. Uh, thanks again, Adam, for uh, coming on. And, uh, thanks to those of you for watching and, uh, until next time, don't fear the fire. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.